Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And today we are finally finishing up our talk of Binti with Binti the Night Masquerade by Nanetti Okorafor. Very excited. Very excited. Indeed, indeed. A um, little bit about what we do. Every month we pick a book, we talk about it, usually in, you know, two different episodes, a pre-read and a post-read. This month we have a series of novellas of really like kind of short story, like between a short story and novel length. Altogether, they make up a novel. It's called the Binti Trilogy. Um, and so each post-read is about a different one of the books. And today's post-read is about Binti, The Night Masquerade, which is the kind of finale of the trilogy. It's the final book in the trilogy here. So we will be talking about that today. It should be good stuff. Fun, fun. Wrap, wrapping up our, our Binti month. Uh, tying up some loose ends. Indeed, indeed. So we'll, um, you know, spoilers just for the entire trilogy at this point, we'll be talking about, you know, we'll be focusing on this final book, but obviously we'll be talking about the entire trilogy and kind of doing our trilogy wrap up at the very end. Um, in terms of content warnings, there's, you know, there's obviously like violence and stuff. It's kind of a book about war to a certain degree, but it is unlike some of the other books. I don't think there's anything like more explicit than that, that we should really mention. Yeah. It's about, it's on par with the others. Mm-hmm. with the other binti novels right, right right yeah there's no there's no big surprises here cool well before we get into the so i think the structure of the episode is going to be uh like the last episode we'll be walking through the plot and talking about the themes as we do i think before we do that we can kind of like maybe talk about like did you like the book matt what did you what did you think about it so this, unlike the previous two books, we should say, both of us had read the first two Binti novellas before, and we reread them for this month. This third book, however, we have both just now finished reading for the first time. And so it's much, it's a different experience. Um, I loved it. I love all three of them. I was not expecting to like hate it, but I was very happy with how much I liked it. I mean, I was like, in, in some sense, almost it felt like a return. Like one of the interesting things that I like so much about these books is that they confound expectations. And that may, that maybe is something that I had almost forgotten because I had been rereading them. So I knew exactly what I was going to get mm-hmm. um, when I reread them, the first two. Um, but reading this one for the first time is, uh, is a reminder that these books are so good at not being what you think they're going to be <laughs> yeah in indeed. a way in a way that is reflective of real life and also a beautiful dream mm-hmm. yeah so that's kind of my favorite thing about them i think i think that i i agree with you on all of that i will say that i i mentioned that both of the previous books i actually enjoyed more on reread and i feel like that will be the case with this book when i reread it too Um, interesting interesting there were certain bits like there's certain things about this structure of it like it being very unexpected that i really like but i also think that i find on my first read there's just so much like plot that i'm dealing with that i almost have a little bit less time to deal with some of the other stuff in the book um there's an intensity to it i mean part of what it means that it's constantly confounding your expectations is that there's a lot of um 
tension in the narrative, not in a stressful way necessarily, mm-hmm. although, you know, maybe almost stressful, but actually instead of feeling stressful, it feels really exciting, at least to me. Um, I have this feeling of constantly wondering where this is going to go. I mean, we made predictions last episode <laughs> that were hilarious. So wrong, <laughs> which is a great illustration. Um, Definitely not, not of, you know, uh, like obviously not that we're like so good at making predictions. I am not, <laughs> but it's a, it, it is an illustration of, of, of the really cool way that the book um, takes you places you didn't think you were going. I mean, that's actually, well, and it's definitely like refreshing not to be able to like easily make predictions, right? Like some yeah. of the predictions we made were wrong just on like a, on this level of like, you know, I mean, one of the particular predictions that I made was that the the night masquerade and the Adon were somehow connected when the truth is the night masquerade was Daylay and and one of the other like villages like the night masquerade is like people. It's not actually a magical creature like we were talking about or and that, advanced technology. It's, right. Or it's any just of a that. guy in a suit. Yeah, it's just it was amazing. Dude in a like, straw suit. So good. And which which is, you know, it's literally I mean, a person wearing a mask. Right. Right. Um, and just and, like, you know, getting it wrong in these like kind of like structural ways where like I was taking Binti at like what she believed and, and face value even and not considering like, oh, she's an unreliable narrator when it comes to issues of like her home and family and certain Yeah, ways. and she's a 17 year old and she doesn't know how mm-hmm. things are going to turn out any more than anybody else around her does. Mm-hmm. One of the predictions that I made was that um, I thought that there was a pretty good chance she would end up staying on earth which is hilarious from the perspective of this book <laughs> uh well that's not quite you said yeah. she would go back to umza university with a, with a desire to come back her to earth yes, and that it yes. does not seem to be what how it ends oh yeah not at all very far from it <laughs> right. I, so certainly she goes back to umza university but right so yeah so it felt like both of us kind of had made these you know predictions that are almost like not even wrong like they're so wrong that they're not <laughs> you know it's like the basic yeah. fundamental like assumptions yeah, yeah, yeah. we made were and, wrong right and that's what's cool about it because it's not that it's not like a, a gotcha plot moment happened that we didn't see coming it's that mm-hmm. the it's mm-hmm. it's almost like the thing that we didn't correctly like it could have gone in a lot of different ways it was set up in such it was it was set up so that you know a lot of different plots could have happened but the um, the particular emotional journey was not what we predicted it would be. I think that's the key thing. It's not, it's not so much, yeah. like, oh, you know, this character like turned out to be this person instead or nothing like that. It wasn't, it wasn't a sort of, you know, uh, it wasn't pre- cheap. premium. It wasn't a premium cable TV plot twist right. at all. It right. was, and it, it was a different emotional journey from what we predicted, mm-hmm. you know? So it was wonderful. Yeah, I did. I did really enjoy it, to be clear. I think that, you know, I think my big thing is that I appreciate like when it comes to trilogies, I really like second books and trilogies, even though that's often what kind of is like, oh, it's slow and weird or whatever. But like, I like that second books often like they take something that's already been built and they expand it and they fuck with it. Mm-hmm. And then like they leave you hanging. And I like mm-hmm. that kind of structure. And I think that the just the structure of taking everything that's been fucked with and like 
you know, unfucking it to a degree and like, like I'm like wrapping things up. Like I'm in certain ways, less interested in wrapping things up. And one thing that I think that Nanetti does really well is like things aren't wrapped up with a nice little bow. It's not like I was just going to say happy ending yeah. kind of thing. I was just um, going to say, you know, it's very much like future and forward. You know, I mean, she's a 17 year old girl. Like it's, it's a good, it's a good the book's not going to end with her that. having figured her life out. No, that's not, not even what, close. that's not what happens to <laughs> 17 year olds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, it was, it was yeah. good though. It was good. But that, I think that's where some of my thing comes in. So, um, yeah, we begin the novel with Binti having a nightmare. Oh, just a couple of quick oh, notes yeah, go ahead. before, before we go through the whole plot. Um, uh, we should note, um, this is, uh, uh, well, maybe we should have noted this before, but this is a much longer book than the other books. Yeah. I didn't know that coming into it. Yeah. This book is as long as the first two put together. Right. Um, I still longer. think the whole thing makes up like a, a novel's worth of I think words right. altogether, but yeah, it, it, it is about the same size as the first two put together. Yeah. And so as a result, we're not going to be quite as fine grained as we go through the plot. Oh, definitely not. No, uh, um, it's just a longer book. Um, yeah. So uh, keeping that in mind, please. Right, right. It's also it's. um. Oh, I don't have this totally well thought through, but it's a longer book. But I don't know if it's actually quite as dense as the other two books are. Like we talked about the really? density of the other books. Yeah. And it does. It feels maybe I this is it because was, I just read it. No, and I so think it's that's my take because I thought it was really dense. Um, it is really I, dense. I thought you know, it was, you know you're right. I I am wrong about this. <laughs> I think this is purely like I just read it and I'm still you know processing integrating. It's, it's, yeah. I also I, re- I read it over the course of this entire week. I like the other two. I got to sit down in like one or two sessions and just breeze through them. This yeah. one I had more stuff going on, and so I actually read a little bit every day for a week. And I think that kind of spreads that feeling out a little bit. I mean, I I really like what you said about the difference between reading it the first time and reading it the second time. I I'm as soon as you said that, I was like, yep, that is exactly how it's going to be for this one, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of already want to read it again, like wait, wait a couple of months and then maybe do it. Yeah. And I should say I never reread books. It's very rare for me to reread books. So. Yeah. How have you enjoyed this like little exercise in rereading things? It's not going to make me suddenly reread a bunch of other books. I'll tell you that. But yeah. I have enjoyed it a lot just Good. because these books, I think, are are perfectly suited for it. They are. I think they work very well on reread. They do. I mean, partly it's that they're short. Partly it's that they're dense. Partly it's that they're they they don't have traditional plot structures or act structures from a structural point of view. They have more in common with dreams, I think, hmm. in, in mm-hmm. a sense, than mm-hmm. than with like. And and that's not to say that they don't have any kind of organizing principle. I think they do have organizing principles. They're just like they're different enough from conditioned expectations that it feels more like going along for the ride a ride with your subconscious than it does going along for a ride with some kind of cultural artifact if that makes any sense well that might be a good segue kind of into the beginning of the plot because the beginning is a dream that binti is having gasp um and so so yeah so the book really kind of starts with her going back home and with all of like cuz she is she has had the zinyaria nano whatever's like turned on 
And mm-hmm. now she's dealing with the fact that she has like other people's memories and other people's like, like she has this communication happening with her constantly and she can kind of like see things that aren't there. And it's a, it's a lot for her to deal with, obviously. Can I just say as an aside regarding what you, ju- regarding what you just said, I thought it was really interesting when I read it, I, I was thinking like at first it sort of seems almost like magic. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, it, it, it's both seems like magic and doesn't because it's also a classic sci-fi trope, nanotechnology. But then I re- then I suddenly thought, um, isn't this exactly like activating a phone, like if or activating your service on a phone? Like, say you have a, f- a new phone and it it's a computer, like it has all these various capabilities by itself. But then you have the option of creating some kind of bureaucratic relationship with a massive company that will enable you to suddenly use the phone to go onto the internet wherever you are Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like as soon as you do that I, i i've had i've walked around with an unactivated phone and it's cool it's like having a computer that fits in your pocket it can do all kinds of stuff there's also stuff it can't do so after a while i i activated it and it, it, there's this sort of telescoping feeling that i mean it really is reminiscent of the feeling that is described that Bindi has less intense though well i think the one difference is that when you activate a phone you don't have other people's memories popping up in your head in quite the same way and i think that's one of the really big (laughs) the thing i didn't realize about the zinyaria technology in the last book is the degree to which it's not just like seeing invisible text messages it's actually like you know, can give you like more like VR type experiences for lack of a better word. Like it can actually like put you in these other people's memories and it connects you not just to the people currently alive around you, but the like people who have previously had this technology, it connects you to like kind of everyone's consciousness and puts you a little, you know, it's clearly not a hive mind, but it kind of like puts you closer to them. I loved it because it felt to me like as soon as i made that connection with the analogy of the cell phone it it suddenly felt to me like oh this is a this is the this is the amazing thing that sci-fi can do where it is imagining a future tech that is so advanced it's magical but actually i can see the pa- i can see a path from what we have now to that Mm-hmm. Or to something like that. Mm-hmm. I can see how the imagined vision of this particular kind of like like AR slash VR experience, like carry with you AR slash VR experience, which is highly right. social. I can totally see the connect. I mean, it's actually not even it's not like a 300 years from now thing. It's like, no, a, I mean, it's clearly what Facebook wants to do in buying Oculus. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like it's, a, you know, yeah. So like it's like a generation away at the most. Right. Right. And, and like enough. Uh, yeah. Well, without getting into that, like it's <laughs> yeah. like the, this book is dense enough that the thing that 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 this thought is like just an aside. I mean, the book like mm-hmm. doesn't spend even a paragraph on this mm-hmm. kind of analogy. Mm-hmm. It just like, it's just in the water. The book swims through. Right. So this first chapter is very long, but it is mostly them walking home, trying to get home. We learn more about the way that Mwini is a harmonizer, which is kind of cool. It turns out that he can talk to large animals is more or less as like, you know, in the same way that Binti can like tap into the like math underlying the world, like when he can tap, tap into certain types of like communication and like talk with large animals, even if like he doesn't know their language, it's not, you know, 
it's like like almost like post-linguistic talk instead of pre-linguistic it's like there's words and there's concepts and there's you know communication happening but he doesn't need to actually know the language to be able to do that when he is so cool he gets cooler he's pretty great yeah no i'm glad he becomes like a full fleshed out character in this one um so eventually they get and the other thing we should say is that as she's walking home, I mean, she's having nightmares about all of her family dying and it's unclear the degree to which it's nightmares, the degree to which it's actually like her talking to her father through the Zinyaria, the degree to which it's like his memories kind of wrapped up in the Zinyaria after the, after the fact it's like the Zinyaria isn't a, like a, an easily legible technology. Especially when it's first turned on like this. Yeah, apparently there's this big uh, issue where, I mean, you know, typically like in Winnie's case or in the, the typical Enyi's in Arya's case, it's turned on when they're very young or they they grow up with it. She is having, it's almost like a experiencing this sudden onset of puberty as an adult. If you, you know, I mean, it's very emotionally and physically intense and she doesn't have the benefit of the slow growing up period alongside the development of the technology and her senses to right. kind of make sense of it. Well, and it's kind of like learning a language as an adult, as opposed to like acquiring it as a child. Like it's, it's this, you know, new thing that she has to think about doing, or maybe a better analogy is, you know, learning to ride a bike as an adult or learning to swim as an adult, as opposed to like doing it as a child, like a, you know, a baby, you look, teach a baby to swim by tossing it in a pool and it more or less figures it out for itself. Whereas like as an adult, you have to take lessons and learn and think about your strokes and do all yeah. of this stuff yeah and it's very emotionally intense it keeps it keeps hitting her in unexpected ways and kind of yep. taking over her experience kind of she she'll be you know trying to be conscious and awake and aware but it'll just keep hitting her mm -hmm. like a like a dizzy spell not a dizzy spell she has this way of describing this kind of her like senses almost telescope back outward like like uh like there's a large planet looming behind her. There's like a tunnel that she's falling into the earth through yeah. and that kind of stuff. It's very kind of like yeah. horrific type of imagery. Yeah. And I also imagine the like the Hitchcock camera effect thing happening yeah. to her vision. You know what I imagine, especially when she was talking about like the dark planet looming, I was kind of thinking of the movie um, Sunshine by Danny Boyle which is mm. there's oh it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies it's like very very underappreciated but um there are these points where it's like the you know it's these these this small group of scientists like traveling to the sun and the like way the sun is represented is as this like huge powerful godlike object like the way that it's shot is just like it makes you feel the like intensity and enormity and like power of the sun and i got that sense of like this idea of this like giant black like this entire planet behind her not just in the sense of like oh the ground is the ground and it's flat and everything but it's like it's the entire planet and you can feel the power and the enormity mm -hmm. of a planet mm -hmm. kind of in a, in a similar way to uh the broken earth books and like the, the kind of like the, the angry father earth and the sense of this whole planet is like mm. there and like is menacing. Oh, um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, so I, I think moving on a little bit, um, eventually they get, they get home. Um, we're running through this very quickly, but they get home and people are not happy to see her back. 
like a lot of the village well, has been well, burned but, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, before we before we describe their reaction, we should say, you know, th- this whole time they're going home, you know, Binti's incredibly worried about her family. She doesn't know what's become of them. Right. She doesn't know what's she's having these dreams, but she doesn't know, you know, if they're exactly correct or not. She gets back to the root and the first thing that she sees is her home, the root. Indeed, as depicted in her dreams, has been totally burnt and destroyed and her family are probably all dead inside. Right, right, right. And that's what and that's what I was trying to get at. It's like like she gets home, the village is burning, the root seems to be like more or less entirely burnt down, except for there's like stone walls and stuff. So it's like it's in ruins at very least. Um as are a lot of the nearby homes and houses and structures and the stuff that isn't in ruins is like, you know, people are inside, people are scared. They, no one comes to greet her. No one is like happy that she's home. She doesn't receive the warm welcome that she did last time that she came to the village. Yeah. And of course she has to deal with the fact that her family, she believes her family are completely all dead. Like all Mm. of them are killed and her worst fears have come true. Right. In terms of things that didn't work for me, I feel like there's been one thing every book, and this is this book's thing. It's like, I knew her family wasn't dead. Like, I never bought that her family was dead. <laughs> I know. I, I sort of never bought that either. I and think, yeah, go ahead. If if they had done, you know, because one of the things is that they don't look at all. They, like, get to the house and, like, quickly leave it, and it's clearly because it's very traumatic for her. Like, she doesn't, like, want to look for her family's remains or anything like that. But in not doing that, and the fact that no one, Winnie hasn't, the village elders haven't, Dele hasn't, like, no one has actually, like, done any excavation or looking or, like, anything to look at what actually happened. There's this sense of, like, oh, well, of course that means... That like structurally, that means that they're alive still. <laughs> yeah, um, we should also say there's like you know fifty or so kush corpses like around. The, oh, that's right. Around the route that uh, that uh, Okwu has killed. Or right, that other Okwu has killed. like killed all the kush army people who like came and did this. Uh, which goes to show the like power of the Medus. Like they are so much stronger than humans are. Even you know even like you know elite military human forces. Yeah. Um, and we get to find, see, we get to see, I, I'm going a little bit out of order, but Okwu is alive. You know, we get to see him again. Yeah. He has integrated the DNA of the, of the, of the snails. So he has this like galaxy of like glowing lights within him now. So great. Which I thought was like a great little, a great little detail. But all um, the, in addition, all, yeah, all the Medus related things are super cool. Right. <laughs> and in addition to him, the other Medus are also here and they're all waiting in the lake and they're all like, they're all hiding in the lake with their Medus ship. And they're like, we're here and ready to fight whenever you want us to. We're going to fuck up these Kush for you. And then he's like, <laughs> no, that's not what I want. And they're all a little bit like, oh, but that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> we hate them. We want to destroy them. Yeah. Surely, surely our righteous anger, partly derived from the death of your family, is something you share. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and the other thing is that, uh, yeah, just to say one more thing about this yeah. moment when she comes back, it's sort of all the book leading up to this has been building up to this moment when she comes back. And we, as readers, I don't think knew exactly what we were going to find either. I mean, because we... You know, we know that Binti's having these dreams and the dreams do seem to be portrayed as kind of prophetic. We don't know exactly what we're going to find. We sort of feel like I felt at least like Minyi was Minyi was kind of like trying to like calm her down a little and like suggest that maybe her dreams weren't 100 percent accurate. But then he also knew some stuff that she didn't 
having heard it from right, her grandmother. Right. And he does like lie to her or not lie, but like hide stuff from her a little bit because yeah. he thinks it's best that she not learn it till later. And I think there's some, you know, we talked about the like trust issues in the in the last book with the with the Enyis and Yaria. And I think some of that starts to come into play as well. Yeah, they just they, there's like several times when they've like totally lied to her, which is kind of like eh. I'm not <laughs> yeah. super into that. I don't I mean, clearly they do. We are meant to think that they have her best interests at heart, but it just is very annoying. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I am not a huge fan of that kind of paternalistic withholding. Of but it's very believable, too, though. I, yes. At no point did I. I mean, it just flows. It's 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 good story, even though it's like character doing annoying thing, you know, very much, very much. So then it was all built up to this. She gets back and, and like she, you know she has been feeling super stressed and like experiencing all these different like manifestations of stress and horror and physical change and emotional change and turmoil. Mm -hmm. She gets back, all of her sort of worst fears seem to have been realized. And she almost kind of goes into like, she almost kind of shuts down or like transforms into transfers her consciousness into a mode of, okay, let's handle this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so then, a little bit of the like, you know, shock turning into like, let's deal with facts as facts instead of the emotional right. component of those facts. Right. So Binti goes into handling mode. Which um, I am. I, I feel like I'm very well acquainted with that mode. That's definitely yeah, something that like I mode. do in states of high anxiety, mm -hmm. which are a lot of my states. So <laughs> very, very knowledgeable of it. Yeah. So sorry. You, you, why don't you pick up where you were? Um, she, uh, eventually like goes to the village elders and is like, you know, we need to call, I, I forget the name of the thing, but more or less like call a meeting of the like village elders and like talk about what we're going to do here. And you guys need to call this meeting. And the elders are a little bit like, uh, who are you to tell us what to do? Like, who are you to do this thing? Um, it's called an Okuruwa. I think, or Okuruwo. I don't know how right. to pronounce it, but yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea what the actual like accent for this kind of thing is or like right. what sounds yeah. these I, words I don't represent, either, but so sounds like in my head, it sounds kind of like Okuruwo. Right. Like that. So they, um, which the word, the like word word is clearly like a part of that kind of like we were talking about earlier. Um, but we, uh, anyway, she eventually convinces them to do this and, they have the meeting and obviously like some more. So I think, th I think between doing that and talking to them is when she first meets Oku again or something like that, but they have the meeting and, um, as she's walking to the meeting, I believe it is. She sees the night masquerade for a second time. Is that right? Oh, I think that's when? correct. That's um, a good question. I don't remember exactly when, but right. at some point she sees anyway, the night, she masquerade, sees the night again. masquerade again and is kind of like blown away by like seeing it like again and so soon and thinking like, oh man, this, this, you know, maybe it's what convinces her to call the meeting in the first place. I forget exactly because she meets with the elders kind of like in different times and with differing degrees of like formality to those meetings. You're right. This kind of first part is very dense and there's a lot of there's a lot of like talking with like different groups of people being represented at those talks. But everything is kind of moving towards this this point uh, where she has. Yeah, sorry, I just ahead. found it. So she does. She sees the night masquerade the second time at the root. Oh, right, right. And that's what convinces her to call the meeting. 
with the elders. So, so she sees the night masquerade at the root. She goes and talks to the elders and says, we need to call like this meeting where everyone is represented and where we're going to actually talk about what we're going to do. And actually the, the experience that she has with the night masquerade is, is, uh, is relevant for the rest of the book because it says some stuff to her, um, which comes back later. Uh, if I may quote briefly. Yes. Yes, that's right. It spoke in Ochihimba, and its voice was like the sound of a vibrating, undying tree during a thunderstorm. Death is always news, it said, the acrid smoke billowing from its head thickening. I felt the world swim around me as the, at the, as the weight of my family's death and my own terror tried to pull me down. Around it, everything seemed to vibrate. My eyes watered, and I kept blinking and blinking away the blurriness. The night masquerade slowly stepped towards me and I nearly screamed. Instead, I coughed as I inhaled a great whiff of its smoke. A bird who has flown off the earth and then returns to land is still on the land, it said. Remove your shoes and listen. Right, right. And then, um, and that comes into play later. She tells um, Winnie about that. And he's like, oh, you should do that. And she never actually ends up removing her shoes. He does. He, <laughs> he does. does. Yeah, he does. And he kind of like connects to the earth in this very specific way. But it's funny that she never actually listens to the like one thing that it told her to do. And instead she's like, OK, well, I need to go and like call this meeting and, you know, do this stuff with um with the elders and like make peace between the the Kush and the and the Medus. And that's her her ultimate goal is to broker a like kind of a like renegotiate the peace treaty that she's already negotiated once and to, and to be like, no, you guys really have to stop fighting and you really have to stop this. Um, and there is this, uh, this, this kind of proverb proverb that gets brought up, which is when elephants fight, the grass is trampled or the grass dies or something like that, or the grass suffers. I think it is when elephants fight, the grass suffers. And, you know, she sees her village as the grass in this kind of metaphor of like, if the Kush and the him, if the Kush and the Medus fight, the Himba are going to get trampled under that fight, um, as is already happening to a degree. Yeah, I mean, part of like a third of the Himba uh, village that she grew up in has already been destroyed. Right, right. And it's not because anyone is mad at like the Himba particularly. It's because the Kush and the Medus are mad at each other and the Himba are kind of caught in the middle. Um, so not wanting that, she calls this, um, I keep saying this, she, she calls this this meeting. They talk about it. She presents oh, her Karua. plan yep. of wanting to tap into the Himba deep culture, I think is what it's called, and to mm -hmm. like use that to somehow to convince the Kush and the Medus to stop their bullshit. Um, and the, the council of elders seems to agree. Uh, and so the next day or the, they're the, very hesitant. They're they very really, hesitant. They really, they really don't, don't, don't like to. this idea. No, they really don't <laughs> want to like get her. involved in this at all. <laughs> no. And they're a little bit like, again, like who are you? You're a 17 year old girl telling us like our shit. Like we know what we're doing. Yeah. And not only that, they blame her for yes. it's they in their minds it is the fact that she came back to earth that led directly to the kush destroying a third of their village yes. and killing her own family so it's like her fault and right. now she wants to like try to come in here and be like like tell them how the way, to fix it yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, no, no. So they're not having it. They do eventually seem to agree, although the next day at sunrise or, or like that, that sunrise when they're all supposed to meet up together, the council elders don't come. And it becomes kind of clear that they and uh, and eventually it's made very explicit. But, it you know, it's kind of clear that, like, the council elders don't come, even though the Kush and the Medus are both arriving. And it looks like they're not going to come like they they have decided, like, no, we're not going to we're not going to do this. We're you know, yeah. we told actively, her we would, right. but we're not going to. And they actively lie to her about it. Right. They actively betray her by not showing up to the peace conference that they're supposed to show up to. <laughs> so so the peace conference is pretty much like. Her, Okwu, and Mwinyi, and then, like, the king of the Kush, which sounds like a pretty big deal, right? Like, I'm not exactly sure how large the Kush territory is or what exactly all this means, but, like, if the Kush is supposed to be the Arab world, more or less, which... um which Nanetti has said that it is, then it's, you know, it's one of the most powerful leaders on Earth. He's like a big deal guy. Right. And then the Medus show up and they and then have the Medus not have their just, chief. Well, yeah, but it's not just the chief that we met in book one. It's like mm-hmm. a chief who is above him. It's like right. the equivalent right. to the it's, Kush king. Exactly. We, we have like a lot of like very powerful people and then Binti trying to like get them to stop arguing with and each they other. Both, and both sides show up with like arsenals and ar- <laughs> yeah, armies. entire army pretty much yeah. so it's like, like these two like armies hundreds facing of ships each other and shit. yeah yeah these two giant space armadas kind of facing each other with lots of armed people out on the ground mm-hmm. the political leaders of both sides and then the himba elders who were supposed to show up to be the mediators don't show up so it's really just binti minyi and okwo yep <laughs> and you know Winnie and Okwu are more or less just there for the ride and like moral support so it's really like yeah. Binti who has to do this um the other entity that shows up is the night masquerade as well we see him it whatever for a third time in the broad daylight and Binti remarks on this she's like I'm seeing the night masquerade for the a third time it's broad daylight obviously this means like this is you know this is important like the night masquerade does not do these things the night is literally in its name this isn't this shouldn't be happening yeah beyond just the fact that I'm a woman like you know most men don't see it twice yeah so finally realizing that you know the elders are not going to come that it's up to her and after the various political leaders especially the kush king has insulted her to her face several times Mm. bindi takes charge she herself calls on the himba deep culture which is supposed to be something that only an elder can do Mm -hmm. um and she succeeds she succeeds she what what happens is something sort of like it sort of seems to be similar to what happens when she trees, but on a way bigger scale. She kind right. of is able to access current in the air and around and in her. the earth. I mean, and there's the a earth. bunch of yeah. like kind of like digging deep into the earth, like in the sense of like deep culture being like physically true. Yeah. Um, so she kind of it's almost like harnessing lightning. The storm comes and she I don't remember. I don't remember if she gets hit by lightning or if lightning strikes near her. Or, but anyway, her tentacles yeah. writhe around her. She's surrounded by this massive current that she's called down, and she calls on them to make peace with each other um, in the name of the Himba Deep Culture. And uh, the Kush King and the Medus Upper Chief, Higher Chief, uh, agree. 
Yep. Based they on like her calling on to it. the to the culture. And it, yeah. it, there seems to be something about the culture that is able to uh, do convincing like uh, that is very convincing. There's something very convincing about the right. culture. Yeah. Like, like prior culture her, speaks yeah. through her. It seems to be like it's like a very simple like, OK, yeah, we agree sort of thing. Like not like they're scared of it necessarily, but that like it's so powerful that it can like actually make them do this thing. Yeah, it's so it, it, it's 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 not like they're forced. It's like they're convinced mm-hmm. by this like shocking argument. Right. But not an argument that is like a logical one. Right. It's purely like a, an argument that is so strong that it. like Yeah, it's sort that. of like the force of Binti's conviction um, that peace is the right thing and that it must it must be made. Mm-hmm. Um, is like made physically manifest in her kind of calling on the deep culture and then changing their minds. Right. Um, so right. the Kush king and the Medus chief agree to make peace and they, they say turn away and they turn away and walk away from each other and they want to back down. Right. And then, and then someone from the Kush fires a shot at the Medus chief and like all hell breaks out. Yeah. Like immediate, like yep. right as everyone's like, oh, great, we did it. Like immediately it's torn asunder. Yeah. And uh, later on, we learned that when you got to look at the Kush uh, king when this was happening and he looked shocked and appalled. And so we right. uh, we kind of get some evidence that this was not like a, like a, a plan, an intentional yeah. you know, betrayal by either side. But uh, was the one instead, thing he does you know, say is that the, there's a there's a Kush general who we haven't mentioned, but like plays a big part. Like he was there when the route burned down and everything. And um, he when he says that he looked like happy he, or he looked unsurprised. And in fact, he runs straight for Binti. Um, and so this this general coup runs for Binti and grabs her and she punches him in the face multiple <laughs> so times awesome. i love this part she punches him so far hard in the face that she like breaks her fingers it's yeah so and like cool. his nose and stuff well and yes, he, he runs so like he actually she actually yeah. like prevents him from taking her um but yeah he tries the, to in, kidnap her <laughs> right and in the ensuing fighting though um she is shot and her legs are torn off and her right arm or left arm one of her left, arms is torn left, off yeah. And um, she dies like like the end of this chapter is like the the most of the Medus and the Kush like jumping in their spaceships and like flying up into space and having like space battles like kind of above everyone. While Mwinyi, Okwu and all of a sudden the night masquerade rush to Binti as like her life drains from hers or all of her blood does and she dies and that's the end of this chapter and the night masquerade throws off its mask and turns out to be dele right and so and like he like starts like screaming in sadness and grief at her right and begins like mourning her um and um so the next bit of the novel moves pretty quickly because we you know what so far has been kind of like a first person, like, you know, told from Binti's perspective turns into like third person told from Winnie and Dele's perspective, kind of varyingly. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Dele, uh, we had met Dele previously in this book in as he is one of the elders, basically, or he's an apprentice to one of them. So he showed up at the elder meeting right. and he apparently what happens, we learned from him now that he was 
the elders had a secret meeting between the meetings where they decided to betray and not show up. And yep. he was totally against that from the beginning. And so he um, couldn't convince them to show up. So he showed up himself as the night masquerade to try to support Binti. Right. And and some of it, too, is, you know, we learned that even, you know, with him becoming more traditional in the last novel and, you know, in this novel, like working with the elders, there's an element here of him trying to change things from the inside. Like while while on the one hand, like to Binti, he seemed, you know, this one way, which is very like traditional and like working with the elders and kind of shitty to her. In reality, he's trying to balance the like, okay, well, I have I'm I'm trying to become an elder and to become a chief, but part of why I want to do that, like, is to be, you know, I have to be traditional now so I can do that thing and then can like relax some of the traditions. And and this way you, of making is, change from the inside. Is that really how you saw it? Like he he was actually like a reformer? I sort of saw him more as like a like he sincerely believed in all the traditions. He just thought that the wrong way to it was not the right way to go about upholding them. Yeah, I saw him as, you know, maybe not a ref, like an explicit reformer, but as someone who, you know, saw the traditions as like important, but also maybe like a little bit too rigid. Right. Like someone who's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to like, you know, hmm. like work within the system to like change it in ways that are better. Whereas like Binti is someone who like just bucks the system and leaves it when it doesn't work for her. And like I thought it, that it was contrasting the two of them as like he isn't all that he appeared to her. Yes, right. That's There's more to true. him than yeah. than what appears to her. Yeah, I think I think um, the way that I th- I saw Dele's character, and he was a really interesting one in this book. Um, mm-hmm. I saw him as you know, Binti comes back from Umza University. She's had all these experiences. She's done a little growing up. He's done a little growing up. They've both moved into like new phases of their life. She doesn't recognize him. He doesn't recognize her when they first see each other again. And this whole experience of him actually coming around to being on her side almost felt to me like it's like when you have a, a very a person you're very close to and you experience some important life events away from them and you come back you don't recognize them but then you re-recognize them there's mm-hmm. this moment of realizing that they were really that person you knew mm-hmm. they, they 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 the core important moral piece of them never changed he still has the same values that he had before even though he's interested as he has always been actually in these in upholding these traditions and kind of making upholding tradition a big part of his life Mm -hmm. he still has the same good values that made them friends in the first place and he can be a traditional minded person and support binti like there's a way to square that circle basically sure sure yeah i don't know i don't know if what we're saying are totally different things but i i i I agree that there's there's the sense of like you know i think for me the big thing is that like she was actually treating him somewhat unfairly but he was also hiding himself from her and so that 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 dynamic was kind of bound to happen between the two of them even while they both wanted the same thing i sort of saw i i mean he was hiding the night masquerade thing certainly but i i thought it was like they were both unaware that the other had not changed they 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 each thought that the other had changed more than they actually had they each sort of didn't recognize each other like in the second book when they have that awkward conversation on the phone you sort of feel like they both think the same thing of the other they both feel like and at the time it's sort of like we're on binti's side we don't see any of dele's internal Mm -hmm. struggles or his his thoughts but 
we later we later we later learn that you know what Dele thought was basically that Binti had totally betrayed her people. He thought that she had just run off, and like just decided she didn't give a shit about her family or her culture anymore. Right. And obviously, we know that that's not true, but that's what he had thought. And so he mm. was he was sort of trying to handle the fact that he still sort of like loved her as a friend or maybe more and yet felt that she had then yet saw this to what to him was evidence that she had done that. Right. And she, you know, saw him as somebody who had just given up all of his personal commitments to being a good person and being her friend and these sort of things in favor of a, a like impersonal commitment to upholding some kind of tradition of her people which she cared about too but not at all in an impersonal way Mm -hmm. not as an abstract thing as much and then they both realize that in fact like they're still the same people they you know it goes they're able to find a way to go back to the way that they were when they were or a little bit of the way that they were when they were younger when they when they they never do together like dele gets to describe to Winnie that that's the case but they never actually meet again true that's true they don't meet again but i think like i think we feel that although they're not or at least i felt like i felt like you know although they're not um they they don't don't, what i mean is they they, they're it seems as though like they they get an opportunity although it doesn't actually happen on screen you're right they get an opportunity to realize that they both still have things about each other that um, they, they, they still recognize each other. They still believe in each mm-hmm. other, even mm-hmm. though they're still different people like they were when they were younger, too. Right. And I wonder if some of this is, you know, because we do see this from Winnie's point of view is like Winnie being a bit of a harmonizer. Like it, it, it some of this is like Winnie being able to like harmonize and conceptualize the ways in which they are like both the same and help like Dele come to that realization and help, you know, hopefully Binti later come to that same realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could be. But um I think I think we should keep it keep yeah. it moving. Um, you know, at this point Winnie takes his shoes off and finally does the thing that the night masquerade told Binti to do and listens and realizes that the root is the root because it's literally the root of one of these undying trees. And there's an area where Binti's family, like in this root has like been protected Um, and they can't get out. Like whatever has happened to protect them has totally enclosed them in. But um, Winnie and and Dele are able to together kind of like somehow open it up and get them out. Um, But then Binti's folks who are now all alive, her father, her mother, her sister's brothers, like everyone is okay. But Binti is not. Binti is not. And and I think that's the, you know, that's this point where Binti's family has to mourn her and they end up. Um, I forget the exact order that stuff happens in. It's not all that important for our purposes, but they, you know, they pretty much like mourn her and have a bit of a funeral. Meanwhile, Mwini has called Third Fish to tell it about binti's death and it having given birth to its um offspring new fish is the name of the new the new shrimp ship uh it sends new fish out so that mwini and okwu can take binti to space and bury her in space and give her some sort of like space burial yeah and and this kind of goes back to something that binti binti had been telling mwini about um she'd been telling him about her visions of being off of Saturn in particular. And so Winnie has the idea um, that, that that's where she would want to be taken. 
And so they they basically he calls third fish for that. Third fish doesn't come. Third fish sends new fish instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so new fish will take them to Saturn. Right. And so um, they have kind of like the earthbound funeral and um, which involves like placing Binti on the night masquerade costume, because now that everyone's seen it, they're going to have to like build a new one to keep the like mystery of it alive. And there seems to be this point where like, like, oh, yeah, everyone kind of knows that like the night masquerade is like a guy in a costume, but like it's still important, like it's still a very important tradition and it's like it's not like this person can just decide any time to be the night masquerade. It's that they are called to by the actual night masquerade Mm -hmm. spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of, you know, they are simply the like physical manifestation of the actual true magical night masquerade spirit. And in that way, when someone puts on the costume, they become the night masquerade, not just themselves. Yeah. This is definitely a, a, an Igbo tradition that I have heard of, mm-hmm. or maybe a, a West African tradition generally right? Uh, that I would like to learn more about. I really don't know much about right. it, but it's an interesting moment of all this stuff about the night masquerade is really interesting. As soon as, as you know, as soon as there was the reveal that was just a person in a, in a suit, it's sort of like, it was a great moment for me because I love First of all, it confounded our expectations as we discussed, but I also love how it combines these different, it sort of combines different African traditions into one almost like we're, we're supposed to be in this, we're in Himba culture in, you know, this book's version of Himba culture, but we have what I, as far as I know, what is a West African tradition up being like powerfully operative here right so it's a it's a it's a it's a cool thing and i'd like to learn more about that person right and i think as we have said like when we talk about you know like the himba in the book are not the same thing as the himba in real life are right like it's a word for a particular like group and it shares a lot of similarities with that group but like a book canon himba is not like real world himba it is like a combination Mm. of like the Himba and like certain Igbo traditions. I know there's also a difference like the, the Himba religion is I'm pretty sure monotheistic, whereas it's the Igbo religion that ha- is polytheistic and has like the seven and that kind of stuff is actually not a Himba tradition in the real world. It's Igbo. So it's, you know, what I assume is Nanetti kind of taking these various elements of different like African cultures that she has relationships to and turning it into one kind of, you know, like, one culture that is like rooted in those, but also is, you know, something she can tell fantastical stories with. Yeah. I just think it's cool. I agree. So yeah. So new fish, new fish lands, new fish is much smaller than mm-hmm. third fish. New fish is also a child. Amazing. And super happy. We love, <laughs> we love shrimp ships. Yep. So much. <laughs> I know. I was definitely, I was reading this one and like, you know, new fish is an actual character who can talk because, you know, one of the things is that when can talk to new fish in its language, just as it can, you know, there's, there's a moment where when Binti first tells Mwinyi about the shrimp ships and like that, she took one to Umza university and then took it back and kind of, you know, like they're having just a conversation about this and she's telling him it, it's history. He gets really quiet for a second and then like looks at her and is like bigger than a whale, you say, yeah, <laughs> which is so clearly good. this so moment good. of like, oh, 
I can talk to things that are big. <laughs> oh my god! And and uh, we uh, one of the things we had also learned about Winnie that's super cool is that he was trained by an elephant. Oh yeah, by an old an elephant elder named Arowana. Right, um, right. He wasn't trained as a harmonizer by the Enyes and Arya. Yeah. He was trained by an elephant who wanted to kill him, but he could talk to it, and it was like, oh, okay. Well, I won't kill you. I'll teach you how to talk to all the large animals. Yeah, so his his mentor figure was an elephant, and so you know the idea that he would have a, start to have relationships with new fish more directly than we've had been able to have with the shrimp ships before right. is it just works really this well. Is, this is a bit of an aside. Have you read Whitebone? Oh yeah, we've talked okay, about Whitebone. Yeah, yeah. Whitebone is wonderful. It's a novel that is. It's sort of like a. It's it's like a literary fiction novel, except for all the characters are just like elephants. It's just like the story of elephants like living their lives. But there's also kind of a bit of like magical realist slash fantasy right. element with this kind of like white bone that leads them to certain things. But it's really cool because it's like, you know, it's like takes all these like things about elephants, such as like they can communicate through the ground by stomping their feet and stuff like that, but just puts it in their terms, which are all sort of like magical. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. elephants can like telepathically communicate with each other. It's like the way they conceive of this stuff is is sort of like magical and like mysterious. And it's a uh, it's a fun book. And this this got me thinking about it um, as well as a really cool article in the new atlantis called do elephants have souls which i think are like worth is worth reading in kind of this context of you know like like clearly the way nanetti is writing animals is they're just as conscious as you and me i think there's even a point where it mentions that um like other animals have made contact with aliens before humans have and just like never really yeah. bothered to tell us about it. <laughs> like did, didn't need to let us know. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's all these moments where they sort of just live in a world where animals are intelligent. So for instance, um, when he sees these grasshoppers <clears throat> in Himba territory that he's never seen before and he asks Binti about them and she tells him, Oh yes, these were genetically developed uh, a long time ago. Um, have you ever talked to them, Mwenyi? Because <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> but I would. You know, it's like right. just a thing. Well, there's you know? also just the like wild the dogs that he meets and like befriends like several different times through these few books. And you realize like, oh, he's he's not he's like actually talking to them. like there's a conversation happening in the way that like people have conversations with each other. And the dogs like, yeah, think and have language and, you know, yeah. are intelligent yeah. in any way that we would be. I would just say one more thing about white bone, which I really, really like Um, dovetailing with some conversations that we've had on this podcast about uh, world building and creating alien cultures and doing the kind of work of an imaginative anthropologist Mm -hmm. in in an imaginary context. Elizabeth Gowdry in white bone does that incredibly well. She takes real facts about elephants as her starting point, facts that have been observed and corroborated and she constructs out of those facts a culture in a way that has a lot of resonance, I think, for people that are interested in science fiction. So I, I absolutely 100 percent. I do just want to like I just fact checked ourselves. It's the white bone, not just white bone. And her <laughs> okay, name good. is Barbara Gowdy, not you, Elizabeth Gowdry. So thank you. Crucial. <laughs> we will, crucial. We will put this, Barbara Gowdy. Yeah, we'll yes. put this in the um the show notes sorry we're going off the dome here i i hadn't actually expected to talk about it but it popped into my head right here. right right um <laughs> but that is that's a cool so, like if folks like the very the like kind of like 
animistic elements of this book, I think that's a fun book to read. Or if you liked, you know, it's pretty violent and intense. That book is, it's very kind of watership down in that way. Um, I, th- I think if you like those kinds of like, I don't even know what to call them, but like animal fantasies, like that's a very good one. That's one of my favorites. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, where did we, oh yeah. So they're in space. They're flying to Saturn. There's talking. One thing that I kind of found here that I wanted, you know, to wrap up this conversation that we had about, um, technology is I felt like at times, um, I forget if it's here, if it's a little bit later in the novel where they're talking about the ways that like they relate to technology and, and some of the stuff that we had talked about is made very like explicit in the text about like, technology like like relating to technology as like its own sentient thing and building technology to be its own sentient thing and like that these relationships are really important um and that it's worthwhile thinking about your own relationship to technology and like reconceptualizing it in those turn terms uh Mm -hmm. and i thought that was kind of cool that like you know like we didn't know that was going to come up like explicitly in the text but it it did. And it, you know, it kind of like was the same stuff we were saying, which felt good. Yeah. It's like, good. I'm I not like totally misinterpreting like her intentions here. <laughs> um, right. So they put Binti, Binti's body on new fish. Yeah. Um, they the specifically room, put in the lungs. Right. Yeah. They specifically put it in the lungs in the plant room. Um, that is a request that uh, I think third fish or new fish make. New fish um, does. Yes. And uh, it makes sense to Muni because uh, he has heard from Binti that that's where she felt safe mm-hmm. and comfortable uh, when she was traveling on Third Fish. So she probably would have wanted to be put there. So they take her up in space and they have a several day flight to Saturn. And they eventually, you know, the course over the course of the flight, everybody's sort of trying to deal with Binti's death. Muni in particular becomes the POV character by this point. Mm-hmm. The only people on the ship, by the way, are Winnie and Okwu and Binti's body and their, and New Fish itself. And so Winnie in particular is spending the trip kind of trying to deal with Binti not being alive anymore. And he sort of decides that after they drop off her body, he's going to go to Umsa University. Yeah. Meanwhile, while this is happening, the Kush and the Medus are fighting a space war just kind of off in the background. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like so, the new it's like the new Medus Kush war. It's like there was one yeah. like hundreds of years previous. And and it does say at some point actually that like no one's grandfather's grandfather like remembers the war. And you know, it's it's like it's been generations and generations since the war actually happened, we learn. I actually got the sense that it might have been the, the war definitely started a really really long time ago, but it might have the first Kush Medus war might have actually ended relatively recently. I'm not sure about that. Oh, no. Maybe maybe you remember. Maybe, but I I got this sense that the war was sort of like historical at this point. And like that makes the continuing animosity all the more absurd. And that's part of like (laughs) what she uses to convince them that like, hey, like really, you don't you don't need to feel this way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, I, I sort of read that as like. You know, do you guys even remember why this war happened? Like, yeah, no, I bet you don't. I think, Who cares? I think that's, like, that's part of it. But I think there's also an yeah. element of like, you know, major hostilities. You know, it hasn't been like a major hostile war itself for a very long time. It's just been like two people who kind yeah. of hate each other. Um, so they yeah. So they they travel to Saturn and they finally arrive at Saturn. And um, it, it, they've been when he's been dreading the moment, but it finally gets to the moment where he has to go to her corpse and 
push it out of the ship, basically. Yep. And he doesn't want to, partly because, you know, he's expecting it to be decomposed and stuff. They didn't do anything to preserve it. Um, and partly because it's, you know, emotional to go see her again. He goes to He goes to her corpse and she sits up. <laughs> and of course, predictably, right. predictably, uh, Binti has been brought back, basically. Re- um, reanimated by microbes. Yes. So <laughs> the fact that she's been put into new fish's lungs, apparently um, third fish uh, either suspected or knew for a fact that this would enable like new fish is, is a young. And so they're all inside its body. And so there are microbes living inside of new fish that um reconstructed binti they just built the pieces of her that had been damaged back right like something something microbe something something right. stem cells right. she, she gets a new arm yep. she gets a new arm that had been blown her off legs she, get rebuilt although she's she has all her memories them. yep yeah she also remembers having like met the seven in the afterlife the yeah. like seven which gods is interesting whatever. i actually don't know if they're like gods or exactly what it is but you know She's right. like gone to the afterlife and been brought back and, you know, tells tells Mwinyi that she like remembers the afterlife and leaves it at that. Like doesn't actually say anything about it. Yeah. So it shifts back to Benti perspective at this point. Right. Right. And again, this is not that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I was not particularly surprised, but right. it worked. I thought it, 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 it worked, worked a lot better than the family's death. Yeah. Quotes, I, honestly, death. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I was really bothered by the family's death being like not a surprise. Uh, like it clearly I think we I think we were meant to maybe not suspect it, but I also don't think it was played for maximum gotcha. It was it was more just like Binti really didn't Binti really thought they were dead. And maybe the thing that didn't work, if there was a thing that didn't work there, was that like I'm not exactly sure why she was so sure they were dead. Yeah, that that to me is the p- that, that's why for me it didn't quite work. Like there never was a moment of denial. Like if you talk about the stages of yeah. grief, like she didn't go through what would kind of be expected, which is like the denial stage of being like, no, you have to look for them. Like, why has no one done this? Instead, she right. gets to the root and it's like, oh, it's on fire. So they must all be dead. And it's just accepted so quickly that that part, that's what the acceptance of it came so fast for just like everyone across the board. And that was particularly what didn't really work for me. Whereas like, you know, that didn't not work for the Binti part because like her dead body was like she did actually die. And so in that way, it did work for me a lot better. And I, I don't I also don't think there was any issue with the fact that it's like. Uh, surprise she's back because Mm -hmm. it was the way it was done was first of all they didn't there was no like one of the things that's annoying in stories when that sequence doesn't work when you have a character that dies and then is brought back it often is annoying because it's not uh properly set up and some other second order thing depends on it Mm -hmm. so for example a character will be killed and then, um, you know, them not being around. So say there's a big battle happening and you, you you think that character X was killed and their forces can't help in big battle. So big battle is lost, but character X isn't dead. And so they save big battle. Yeah. And so in other words, their, their, their reincarnation enables some other crucial plot point. That feels cheap. 
That right. is not the case in this at all. No. There's no kind of second order thing. It's just the Kushmadus are fighting again, and that's just the way of the world now. Like there's like yeah. she did her thing. It even succeeded to a degree and then like was sabotaged by like multiple parties. Yeah. Um she did the best that she could. Right. And like it's okay. She's she's done with that. Like she's not being asked to do anymore and she's not being asked to save the day for anyone at this point. Like the the her story with the Kushmadu's war is kind of over and the rest of the novel is like the story of her being able to put that behind her and like go back to Umsa University and do what she had wanted to do there. Yeah. Just study. Um, right. And so so her coming back doesn't feel like a cheap way to resolve something. I agree. Because it's not. I agree. It doesn't resolve anything. It's just sort of the it's just a choice, I suppose. It mm. feels like a neutral choice that we could probably see coming, given that the book isn't over yet. And it's a, you know, it's Binti's in Binti. the title. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. But it's so there was There was a moment yeah. early on, like when she first died, where I was like, oh, shit, they are really doing this, too. Like, it's not like a, yeah. it's not like, a, oh, I totally saw that coming thing. It's more of a like, you know, yeah. it didn't feel cheap, like you said. It doesn't like the plot of the novel doesn't rely on it. Like there's no like, oh, she has to come back to save the day. Jesus Christ complex type thing. You know, like it's right, just like right, savior right, right. complex maybe is a better way of putting it. Like she's just, you know, back so she can learn back yeah, so she can her, her, so, so that they can like yeah. end her story, like emotionally her story. Yeah. Her story hadn't ended yet. So she came back so it could end. Yep. Or this story, yeah. Um, I uh, I suppose we'll we'll leave space as the place for the end. I think we'll talk about that more at the end, maybe. Oh, the uh, oh well, right, because that's the that's that yeah. is the name of one of the chapters that we just talked about, not the one where yeah. she reanimates the one before where N- new fish comes back. Um, right. Which if so folks let's, will let's remember, well, the, let's just like if yeah. folks will remember, it was the name of uh, one of Sun Ra's albums and like a, a movie he made. Yeah. Yeah, space is the place is a particular phrase that is definitely a call to Sun Ra's work. Right. Because it's a very famous piece of Afrofuturist, two pieces of Afrofuturist um, music and film. Right. And titling a chapter in which you go to space in order to achieve a kind of semi-mystical, semi-technological uh, personal development slash freedom slash revolution slash like calling that chapter right calling that chapter space is the place is a very uh purposeful i would say you know interesting intertextual moment right that we can talk a little bit more about after we go through right the rest of the we'll plot, do maybe. that as the wrap-up well the rest of the plot is i mean there's it's the, like one long denouement at this point. Right, exactly. It's like the kind of last quarter of this novel is the denouement for like all three mo- novels um, or novellas. So the le- so they are more or less at Saturn. And so, you know, a couple, we learned a couple of things. One is that like Binti and New Fish have like this connection with each other where they can see through each other's eyes and are almost like a... It reminded me a little bit of the cold, like we had talked about kind of like third fish and the culture novels kind of together. It reminded me of that a little bit where the culture novels have like these, um, uh, uh, like, like robot like avatars. Avatar. Yeah, yeah. That it's unclear always it, it, like how conscious they are versus are they just a part of the ship? And here it's, you know, it's very clear that like, oh, like Binti is her own person. 
new fish is its own person, but they also can like share that personhood. They can share bodies. They can control each, or at least Binti can control th- new fish to a degree and they can see through each other's eyes and experience each other's mm-hmm. like stuff. Also definitely reminded me of the ancillary justice series. Yes. Um, the concept of an ancillary may be relevant here. Right. So we'll get to that when we um, read that series. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh right. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about relating to this, combo transformation i think because it kind of gets to uh well Matt, like maybe we should still finish out the plot because there's a couple yeah, other things as well let's let's, let's really finish that real quickly quick. uh like i'll take five minutes to just so they get to saturn um they finally like binti finally like figure like she pulls back up uh, her Adon is with her. Her parents buried her with it or like did the funeral stuff with her with it on her person and she pulls it up and it is um she's able to like kind of talk to it and talk to whatever entity has been talking to her through it in the past. And it turns out that it's these, um, it's these energy beings that like live like within the rocks of like the rings of Saturn and are some sort of like pure energy, like entities. And, um, this whole time, like all of her work with the Adon has just been like, they just wanted to know if like Oomsa University was a good place to go or not because they were thinking of applying. So it's <laughs> it's like, it's such this like oh simple, beautiful thing of it's like this whole like mystical background, you know, like mystery of the story. It's like, uh, yeah, we just wanted to know, like, do you like it there? Is it good? How's the food? Yeah. Good food. If you tell us it's good, we'll go. How many students per professor? What's the ratio? Uh, so it's literally like a two-minute uh, conversation that they have. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll go apply. And they do. And they get in. <laughs> of course they fucking get yeah, in. Right. They're made of energy. They're made of energy. Like, and Jesus. they're like, you know, as old as the universe and have all this information. Yeah. And like, I love, like, love later with the fucking president of Umza University is like, yeah, you know, yeah, you'll probably meet up with them again. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You might have class like with their them. They're students you know? here oh, okay, now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you could do Glee Club. Right. But it's like the other thing that they they mention is that because um, earlier we said that like Binti thought she had broken her a dawn when um when at one point all of its uh, its outside like metal encasing falls off. But the Saturn people, I don't know. They don't have a name, I don't think. Or if they do, I don't remember it. But the, I don't think the energy, the energy people let her know that the Adon was wrapped like a gift in the metal. It's like the Adon is actually the gold thing at Sphere at the center. The rest is just like pretty gift wrapping. <laughs> and mm. it's like this whole worry about her having ruined it is like if you got a present and were like sad because you'd opened it and like thought you had ruined yeah. your N64 because you'd taken the like wrapping paper off of it. Yeah, um, which I thought was like, again, just this kind of like great little, you know, like misunderstanding of the way the world is because you don't have full yeah. like information at your fingertips, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. So that all happens. And then they um, new fish, Okwu and Winnie and Binti obviously all fly back to Umsa University. They land on the planet. Um, one of the the president comes out, they kind of all, all three, like new fish is not a part of the conversation, but talk to her. We learned that Binti can only move so far from new fish. Like part of them being bonded in this way is that like, it will cause like 
like it'll be harmful both like physically and, and psychologically if they get too far apart from each other because they won't be able to like feel each other and be like a one thing anymore at that well point. yeah and too far and she'll die right well we don't learn that till a little bit later but 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 so <clears throat> yeah like new fish is like hovering above her as she wanders around the planet and like goes and does her various things and um president harass uh, they talk to her, uh, and this is all, I mean, this is all very much wrap up, right? Like, you know, Binti is like, welcome to the open arms back into the university as is Okwu. Haras is like, okay, well, we're going to have to start taking over, like trying to like bring the new Kushmadu's war to an end because, you know, like the university is clearly a part of this, both like our students stole the like chief stinger which was like what caused the like you know what caused kind of the new hostilities after such a long time of just like kind of like simmering resentment um and also like we were the ones who like sent Okwu back to earth which kind of like also helped to like rekindle these hostilities so we're a part of this now and we have to do it she offers a place at university to Winnie and he's like no I'm good but I'm gonna hang out and they're like okay fine audit as many classes as you want one thing I wanted to say and I'm gonna take a little bit of time to talk about this now is that like Umza University, and we talked about this a bit in the first novel, where it's like they make this, like, they just clearly make the right decision about the Chief Stinger. And, like, here, too, like, Umza University is so inclusive and so just, like, welcoming of everyone and all of their quirks and everyone who they are. Yeah, Like, Binti has a therapist, and it's, like, okay, and all this stuff. And it's just, like, it's, like, this is almost where the book gets, like, the most fantasy to me, given, like, how fucking terrible my experience of all this stuff was at what is supposed to be one of the best universities like in the world right like this sense of and again i say supposed to be because i think it's actually really bad at this kind of stuff like i i had a lot of you know like i dealt with depression a lot at yale i dealt with a lot of like mental health issues at yale and there was always this thing of like I and the other students who did knew that we had to hide that from the university to a degree and we could not speak about it in its full terms because if we did, the university would expel us and like force us to take a leave of absence due to like mental health reasons and getting back in after that was very difficult. And if we did get pushed out, we wouldn't have like health insurance. We wouldn't have like, you know, like the resources we needed to deal with this stuff. And it was really difficult, like going to therapy at Yale and knowing that like you get six months of therapy and that's it. And you can't be fully honest about this kind of thing. And like, it's just like this, you know, night and day experience as well as just the sense of acceptance. Like there's a whole lot of stuff right now about how like, you know, universities are safe spaces and this, you know, everyone, blah, 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 like that bullshit. It's like, that is not true. Like universities are terrible, especially the university we went to is built so that like really rich white dudes are comfortable and everyone else has to like really scrap along to get by. And I don't know, like seeing Umsa, like like reading about Umsa university always just kind of makes me a little bit sad. It's a little bit of like, oh, this is, you know what I wanted and what I expected and what like I never got. So again, like a little bit of like a chip on my shoulder about all of this clearly, but there's, you know, reading it was always like the sense, like it's kind of like bittersweet of like both reading something that is like, Oh, this is like, this is possible. I mean, it's like not that hard, but also very much not what I got out of college. I definitely think there's a way that you can read the Umza University stuff as Ninetti Okorafor's version of Space is the Place. 
because the the movie mm-hmm. because the plot of that movie is um it's like a classic Sun Ra leads like leads black people from America to a new planet where they will build a utopian society and he like transports them there with his afrofuturist music and he is only able to do that by like fighting against all these people that want to stop him Mm -hmm. but basically it's it's about space and a science fictional imaginary you know landscape as the place where one can one can construct the thing that one is prevented from constructing mm-hmm. closer to home. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot, I see a lot of that in Umsa University, especially since we, we know that Nidia Korfor is somebody who spends a lot of time in universe or has spent a lot of time in universities in America. Right. She has a lot of experience with that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, she has a PhD. She was a professor for a long time. Yeah. I, yeah, I do wonder to what degree this is her being like, Oh, universities are really great for these reasons or to, and to what degree it's like, oh, universities really suck. And like, look, guys, it's not that hard to build one that doesn't like here's a really clear example of one that's not shitty. I think it's really effective in part because it's not it's it's not um, obviously committed to like making a particular point the whole time. It just mm-hmm. presents this mm-hmm. positive vision of a university without like hammering down on like one particular policy point or one particular rhetorical point. It just sort of presents it to you and allows you to think about it how you will. Right. I agree. I agree. Uh, so at this point, you know, they talk to Haras all this, you know, it wraps up nicely. And then Binti has to go to like a medical facility to learn about herself. And this is kind of, you know, I think like the end of her journey in a lot of ways, where it's like, she has to actually like conf- be confronted with slash confront herself, like the ways in which she's physically, biologically, psychologically like changed and like what her new identity is, you know, during this conversation, she keeps asking the doctor, like, am I still human? Am I still Himba? Am I actually a Meduse? Like, what am I actually? And, you know, it's kind of interesting because the doctor's a little bit like, well, you know, what even are these categories? Like, it's all a little bit made up and like, don't worry so much. You're you and you're fine. <laughs> you know, like you've been fine this whole time. You will continue to be fine. Like you shouldn't have to worry so much about those things. Like your biology does not determine who you are necessarily. Um, and the thing that the thing that might be a good thing to talk about at this point would be throughout the entire course of this book, there's been, been this sort of recurring trope of Binti having an experience where she has this sort of vision of somebody asking her what her name is. Right. And she keeps telling them her name and it keeps not being enough. They keep being like, that's not your full name or something like that. And finally, at this point in the book or maybe right before this or maybe right after i forget she has that same vision again and she gives them a, no a it's version when of she her. talks to the actual like saturn people in person oh yeah okay so she gives them a version of her name that includes not just her himba background in within the name not just her himba background plus her any background in the name but also her connection to the medus and her connection to new fish and it combines all of these things that are in the classic sci-fi way made literal in her body. Like mm-hmm. she contains part of Newfish. She is in some sense literally a part of Newfish, not in a metaphorical way, but like she's part of its body. And just as if you pulled somebody's arm too far away from the rest of them, that would like 
cause them pain or even kill them. If you pull her too far away from the rest of New Fish, it would cause pain or even death. Mm -hmm. She's literally part of it. She's part of all these things. She has any Zenaria inside her. She has Medus inside her. Uh, she has Himba inside her. All of these things put together. And so she puts all that into her name and that finally is enough. It is considered to be a, a, an accurate depiction of her mm -hmm. in the vision. So the thing that's so interesting, I mean, there's a lot of things that are interesting about this whole expanding name, the name that expands throughout the book. And one of the things that's interesting to me about it is the way, you know, in some sense, these books are about a person growing up. They're about facing adulthood and trying to figure out who you are in the process of doing that. And one of the things that the books seem to be saying about that is that a thing that a, that happens during this process is that one becomes a multiplicity of people or one one begins to append new versions of oneself onto whatever the first one one noticed was. So an adult is a, an agglomeration more than maybe one thing. There's a, the classic there's like a classic uh, version of a building's roman where somebody kind of discovers who they are and then like create and like realizes what they were meant to be doing. And Binti doesn't quite do that. It's more that she discovers what things she she um, kind of has a series of experiences that put her in a point of connection with various communities and various individuals in those communities, specifically Okwu, Winyi, Newfish, and her family. Mm -hmm. And it's like a really, really, I think, meaningful, meaningfully different version of the of of like the transformation from child to adult. Putting yourself in a point of connection with communities and individuals as attaining adulthood instead of realizing what your career should be. You know, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> kind of this whole time she's known that she was a harmonizer and that's cool, you know, uh -huh. but like that wasn't the thing that was that was hard for her, at right, least. Right. Um, and another thing I like about this is another point I would make about this, this sort of this expanding name thing is that Binti is threatened throughout these these books by various things. There's, you know, there's the original Medu's threat um, when she's on the ship and when she has to make peace with them. Anokwu. There's the threat of the kind of implied threat of the um of of not fitting in at home, of like how is she gonna have a relationship that actually works with her family and her home culture and the Indian scenario. And then there's the the new threat of the Kushmadu's war, the new Kushmadu's war. And every time Binti is threatened, or like the the sort of solution or the way past these threats, it's not really a solution in some sense, but the thing that happens is that Binti expands to include more, to be more things. Right. And that is that's a really, I think that's a really cool way of thinking about how a person grows. They grow by expanding. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool way of showing of showing growth and of showing also this sense like you know, it's okay to be a lot of different things. It's okay to not know who you are and discover yeah. it. It's okay to like yeah. become different people over time. Like this is stuff that is like, okay, it's not, you know, there's not mm -hmm. just one way of being in the world. And that is like, you know, like following your heritage, like heritage is tricky. It's not one thing. It's different for everyone. And everyone kind of has to decide their own heritage. Yeah. And thinking about all that through the paradigm of growth, appending 
placing oneself between things. These are all it the the, the thing. I it's just I just love how this book create like like the best books. One of the things that it does is it creates a language to describe some of the potentially tricky or otherwise undescribed mental moves mm -hmm. that a person needs to make to do this kind of growing up in the right way. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So the very end of the novel, Binti meets with a few of her friends. Winnie has also been making friends. They make out again slash maybe more. Uh, yeah, there is there uh, one other thing that we should say just in the medical thing is that Binti learns oh, yeah. some distressing stuff about her potential ability to have children. Now she's only <laughs> right. seventeen, so that she maybe not may, might not may or may not be thinking about this a lot. But like, well, I think she, she learns is because that, like her right, like in her culture, people think about it even earlier That's than true. that. That's true. Uh, she learns basically that because of all these changes that have happened to her body, uh, having kids will not be straightforward at all. Right. <laughs> Slash. It's not that she. Yeah. Oak will will have to carry the child even if it's hers. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty insane. It's a, it's it's right. actually a, a sort of uh, it's a really interesting way of. It's another to me, it was an example of this book confounding expectations once again, mm -hmm. because at a moment where I expected there not to be any kind of new twists basically right we have this new twist which i it almost which is to me like served... called back because a lot of the people in her himba when she comes back to the himba village from like getting the zinaria activated and after the like kush have come through a lot of people are saying that like she is mated with okwu and calling it her partner right. and there is this right. word she really doesn't like and then she realizes that you know there's actually a way in which they're not wrong. You know, they're, they are, they're yeah. super wrong and they're all being fucking assholes, but there's also a way in which like, you know, like they saw something that she refused to see. Like they saw this right. like element of like her biology and DNA that has been changed and it's not something that she can just ignore anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's not like married in a Himba sense to Akwu, obviously, right. But in a in another very important sense, they are partners. They are connected in this right. very fundamental way that isn't going to change. Right. And I did like the way that the um, the doctor put it, which is that you know, in another fantasy, you know, like a doctor actually caring about its <laughs> fucking patients. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> um, a doctor with bedside manner, but um, the doctor. Uh, like tells her like, you know, in, in Himba culture, from what I understand, like, you know, marrying a man is not just marrying a man, but marrying into his entire family and his entire family is now like a, you know, like must care for your well-being. And like, just think of the same is true here. Like, you you know, you and Oku have become partners and you have all of Oku's family and like all of them care about your well-being. And in the same way, like new fish is a part of you and you have, you know, all of new fish's mm -hmm. family and mm -hmm. like they like, you know, the shrimp ships care about your well-being and clearly new fish does. Um, and then Aww, finally, and third fish too. And third fish, exactly. Well, that's the family part of it, right? Like mm -hmm. it's this familial bond. And, you know, I think there's this kind of implied by the book too of like, you know, like if things work out with Mwinyi, then like the Enyis and Yaria are already kind of family, but that there's this other like familial element and the, um, 
you know, we also learned that the Himba and the Enyis Naria are working together to try to like rebuild and make things better. Like the Enyis Naria are like on the Himba's side, given that they now have this like Kushmdu's war to like mm. deal with. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but the end of the novel is that they, you know, like she and Okwu and some of her, and Mwinyi and some friends from Himba University, including the bear, which is just like a, you know, like a really hairy person who they all like. And, um, and like a Kush friend of awesome. hers. And, and, you know, like they all go to a waterfall and like look at the waterfall together. And it's nice. And that's the end. It like ends on a very, like, you know, she's just back at college being a college kid now. And it's like really kind of a nice note. She actually gets to be a 17 year old. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of wrap it all up, I, I kind of wanted to go full circle on the Afrofuturism stuff, especially mm -hmm. because of the way that this book very specifically and consciously calls it out. Yeah, I think it's really, it's really, um, when we, when we kind of look back on all of this and we ask ourselves, what, what was this all about? Like, so the book ends, and especially given how much of a roller coaster it was, all kinds of different stuff happening, all these new informations, all these twists on things that we thought we knew or different spins on information that we had. Was this about Binti growing up? Is that what this was? Was this about a, a re-envisioning of a, of a space adventure story um, from a different perspective? Was this about... Um, a re-envisioning of a school story where like very little of it takes place at school. <laughs> um, and yet like the school is clearly a very important part of it. Uh, I mean, obviously it was all these things. Uh, I think one thing that it was definitely also about that is maybe a little less explicit is this classic Afrofuturist project that I was talking about earlier with regard to space is the place. I mean, mm -hmm. one way to think about this is that it was a kind of, like the original Space is the Place is about, in some sense, it's about revolution or it's about finding, I mean, especially the parts where they like, you know, they, um, <laughs> there are these like confrontational moments with like, with a uh, pimp guy and with uh, these like white NASA engineers. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but in some sense, it's about this like revolutionary approach to, um, securing one's own future instead of simply trying to make it in the system mm -hmm. buck the whole system and build something totally outside of that mm -hmm. and that's kind of at the core of what binti is trying to do she doesn't want to just make it in himba culture she wants to go to space and build a beautiful new thing that's impossible and unimaginable Right. That is and Himba, that, but it's also a right. lot more like we talk about. It, it expands right. the Himba to be a lot more right. than what they are on their own. Exactly. It's traditional and it's new. It's high tech and it's biological. It's beautiful and it's deadly. It's full of all these amazing contradictions. And it also, you know, puts the book, this book, the Binti books, um, in the role of extending this, very directly extending this Afrofuturist tradition of not just doing this to, I mean, the, 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 they don't just start as Sun Ra did with um, Black Ameri African American culture in, in America in the 60s or mm -hmm. early 70s. Um, they start with a future vision of a future African culture. And then go from there. And so it's a kind of an updating or a reimagining 
um, in addition to an expansion of all those those kinds of ideas. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, it, it is also all those other things, but that's just one point I wanted to make. Um, and the, uh, another thing too, is that this book, uh, is, is very, is more intertextual than the other Binti books have more directly and consciously intertextual than the other Binti yeah. books have been, I think yeah. with chapter titles like that. And with, um, uh, with some of the specific stuff that happens, especially the moments of contact around Saturn. I mean, that kind of reminded, that reminds yeah, me of 2001, right? You know, I mean, these are, there are moments in these, in the, in this book in particular that are very direct call outs to famous works of science fiction um right and it's worth saying that the like at least the like original american cover of this book is like binti like you know blue oku oko and all like hovering in front of like what is clearly saturn you know and like yeah. saturn taking up the entire background because it's this gas giant planet so you see the like swirls of saturn um with yeah. you know like this like you know young black girl with like blue dreadlocks trailing behind her slash yeah. tentacles right holding cradling her hands in front of her and the edan is floating above the hands mm -hmm. this glow this sort of kind of tiny sun-like sphere right so i think that's it i think we get to be a wrap on the binti novels now unless there's anything else that you want to say shrimp ship <laughs> i just want to i just want to say that shrimp ships are my fucking favorite yeah i think i think we can all agree that the standout characters are shrimp ships i didn't even realize we were going to be so lucky as to get a new shrimp ship character in this book <laughs> i, I mean, actually i i did know that and i definitely did not tell you because i wanted you to be able to find out in your own <laughs> good good i'm glad thank you i appreciate that absolutely well um I think that's it for us this this week and this month. Um, it's been a long month for us. So like we said, next week we are going to take a little bit of a week off. We'll have like a really, really short episode announcing our next book. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it the first week. Then we'll have the actual pre-read in the second week of July. The third week of July, we have something else that's kind of special that we don't want to talk about yet, but we might be able to next week. Uh, the fourth week of July will be our post read and we should have a guest who's a friend of mine on for that to talk about it uh, with us. And then the fourth week, we don't know what we're doing yet. And then in August, we will have a new book and another cool new guest for you guys. We will announce a little bit later gonna be a fun summer yeah this is gonna be we're, we're really looking you know i feel like we've kind of hit our stride a little bit here and i'm really looking forward to don't like jinx what the it. next couple of months have <laughs> fuck that shit like i'm happy about it <laughs> i think it's awesome and I, I i think this is gonna be like really fun stuff so i hope i hope other people you know agree and you know as always if you want to talk to us about any of this stuff um you know we love hearing from folks we're our spectology pod on twitter and spectologypod at gmail.com email us with your thoughts what did you think of binti we will probably you know read that stuff out at some point we like to if folks want us to um you know our twitter is going to continue to be posting some like afrofuturist stuff for the rest of the month and then I'll, I'll kind of like change the theme for next month's book and i still have yet to figure out exactly what that's going to be um yeah uh our music that you're hearing right now is by wj on soundcloud you can search him there our artwork is done by noah bradley you can find prints of his at noahbradley.com 
that's it for us i think it's been awesome yeah so it's been a really great month thanks for everyone who's stuck around with us so we will see you all on the flip side shrimp ship shrimp ship bye